Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. Fernando Alonso will contest the Le Mans 24 Hours. We ask if the Triple Crown really is on. Fernando Alonso will make his Le Mans 24 Hours debut for Toyota as part of a 2018 programme that also includes outings in the World Endurance Championship races at Spa, Silverstone and Shanghai, alongside his F1 commitments. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to dissect this news first is Autosport.com editor Glenn Freeman. Now, Glenn, like me, you've appeared at all three of the Triple Crown races, the Monaco Grand Prix, the Indy 500 and Le Mans. As a journalist, how enthusiastic are you about Alonso's mission? I'd actually forgotten about that, so thank you for pointing that out. Uh, The Triple Crown itself... I'm not massively bothered about. I'm I'm very, very excited though about Fernando Alonso constantly wanting to try things outside of Formula One. Le Mans was the obvious one that was missing from that list really and I'm, so I cannot wait to see how he gets on. Talking of uh, diversity in terms of what you're doing, James Newbold, this is your second appearance on the Autosport podcast in a matter of a week. So it sounds like just as Alonso enjoyed his Daytona outing, you're enjoying getting your teeth into talking for a living. Yeah, it's nice to 
be in demand. Um, no, it's, it's... You're the only one available, to be honest. <laughs> Gary Watkins coming back from Daytona would probably have been the first choice, but yeah, very happy to be here. You are a reserve and test sports car driver, that's what we should call you. I'm the Anthony Davidson of this lineup. Well, yes. exactly, of course, yes. He's been bumped down to a reserve and test role with uh, Toyota as a response to this, so we may address that later. Now, Glenn... Alonso's Toyota deal, are you surprised to see him doing such a time-consuming programme? Because it's not just Le Mans, it's not just the usual traditional warm-up race at Spa and the test. He's committed to this, you can't really say full season, because obviously the super season bridges into 19, but it's a it's a serious programme for him, isn't it? Yeah, I think that side of it is unexpected. You would assume, and I think we all assume, that if he got the deal with Toyota that seemed to be on the cards, he would maybe do what Nico Hülkenberg did with Porsche a few years ago, where you do Spa as your warm-up race, and then you do uh, Le Mans after that. He obviously had the Daytona 24 hours. It's a kind of cheeky warm-up race before that, which he's just completed. Uh, and it's, you know, performance-wise, I think that went quite well for him. Um, but yeah, to see that also that McLaren have kind of signed off on this and said, yep, do as many as you can. Formula One takes priority. So when there is a clash, unlike last year with Indy, he won't miss a Grand Prix to do this program. But yeah, I think that's really impressive. It's great that McLaren have allowed that. It's great that Fernando wants to do that. And it's great that Toyota have facilitated that. It's going to be amazingly busy because just looking at the calendar from April the 29th, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix through to the British Grand Prix on July the 8th. He's in action 10 times out of 11 weekends. That includes the F1 wow. races, the WEC races, plus also, of course, the Le Mans test on June the 3rd, which is a, a proper weekend of work. So that, that's going to be seriously busy. Now, James, it does seem that the, the timing of the announcement coming after Daytona is significant because this Toyota possibility has been on the cards for a bit. He said at the raw test that he wanted to do Daytona to see how he enjoyed endurance racing. And it does seem that his enjoyment of the race at the weekend, even though it didn't go as well as it might have done, has confirmed to him that he can be bothered, if you like, to, to do this. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a high-profile driver and it was actually interesting listening back to the interviews that you did with him at the, at the Raw in the podcast where he basically said, people at the stage of the career that I'm currently at could maybe perhaps afford to sit back, kick the heels back and, and just focus on doing the one thing. But actually he's, you know, as as Glenn said, is, is really keen to push the boundaries in, in pursuit of this triple crown. Um, Daytona obviously was a bit of a shambles from um, the perspective of that car. There was a puncture, um, one of several cars that had that United Autosports weren't alone in that respect. They had a lot of brake problems, throttle problems. One of the brake problems came at the end of the, the long straight coming into turn one, um, which meant Alonso had to bail pretty scary moment for him that meant he did the first sector in nine seconds flat which uh meant he got a purple sector but of course it was not very representative of where that car That's was at a hell of a welcome to sports car racing though, isn't it a brake failure <laughs> that's testing for the daytona 500 when he takes that on in the future he'd obviously shown an interest in doing sports cars prior to this with with the rookie test in bahrain he'd already got a a, a toe in the water if you like to sort of see how he how he liked it but there's there's nothing like actually racing in in a pack to find out for yourself being thrown in the deep end if you like and it was really interesting reading about his approach to it in um, Nigel Roebuck's column this week in Autosport magazine where he effectively says spotting the corners in in a prototype where you've got the pillars in in the cockpit was was very different for him and and to start with it was effectively guessing so um, he's come out of it infused and I think there'll be a lot more to come from Le Mans which He's he's already been to. He was the Grand Marshal a couple of years ago. I think he would have learned a lot from from that experience, just being there as a as a guest. And obviously, wants to get his teeth into it properly this time. It says to me as well that he's taking this properly seriously because it's very easy to say I want to win the Le Mans Twenty Four Hours. I'll go and do it. But the fact that 
he did seem to treat Daytona as a warm-up in terms of I'm going to go through this race and then decide after if I'm really committed enough to, to do this. That that says something about the man, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's clear that the, the time frame we're talking here, you know, we're less than 48 hours after the race at Daytona is finished and the Toyota deal is announced and his lineup's confirmed and his teammates and everything. So it was clearly all there on the table. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of interesting. And it says a lot about the man, I think, that he basically said he clearly did not want to commit to it until he had a race of this ilk under his belt. And the fact that he's come away, and as James said, he clearly enjoyed it and he relished the opportunity. And he's he's now saying, yep, I'm up for it. Let's do it. And the thing I really like about this is a lot of drivers will maybe do something like look towards IndyCar racing or sports car racing after their F1 career. It's almost my options have dried up perhaps in F1. I, I want to keep racing. Maybe I want to keep earning the money. I'll go and find something else to do. The fact that Fernando is combining these with his F1 program, and as you alluded to, Ed, he's making himself very busy. You know, what are we talking, 25, 26 weekends he'll be in action this year, um, all in quite a condensed period with the exception of Daytona, of course, which is in January. Uh, I think that says, you know, he is prepared to be as busy as possible, be in the car as much as possible to do these races and these events while he's in his prime. It's not about turning up when he's maybe on, on the way down. He He's clearly showing a lot of respect for the races as well because he wants to race in them while he is still Fernando Alonso, the megastar, not Fernando Alonso, the ex-Grand Prix driver who's still hanging around. It's a massive boost for the for the championship as well when you consider that only a couple of months ago after Porsche left and Toyota was seriously considering its options, you, you felt, well, where's the world championship going to go from here? I mean, this is, this is a beyond a dream for them with... Um, not only some pucker privateers stepping up to give Toyota some actual competition, but a frontline megastar that, you know, when Mark Webber joined the WEC, it was very much, and as Glenn said, it was an afterthought to his Formula One career. At no point had he considered going back to sports cars alongside at a point when he was, you know, racing for Red Bull in his prime. Um, Especially considering as we don't know how the McLaren-Renault package is going to be this year. It's one thing missing... Uh, the Monaco Grand Prix, which would have been one of the McLaren Honda's best chances of scoring points with uh, engine power not being so important. But to actually take on this extra program when the Renault package is, is expected to make a major difference to, to McLaren will, will be really quite significant. I think that's the key difference here. You know, The Indy thing came around once Alonso knew he had a dog of a car engine package last year in Formula 1. He knew it was another year of toiling around at the back, slagging off the engine on the radio and everything else. So that all came together quite quickly and that was when suddenly he and Zach Brown at McLaren got talking about what can we do and maybe it was it was seen as a way for McLaren to show a bit of love to Alonso after three years of or what became three years of real difficulty. This one, as James says, is coming before we know how quick the McLaren's going to be. And yeah, what if I suspect this is a stretch too far, but what if he ends up in a world championship fight in Formula One? Is that going to change his perspective on do I want to be doing these wet races between Grand Prix or you know is he going to be so committed that he'll do them whatever happens I think that's that's going to be fascinating because of course there's a lot of testing to do for an LMP1 team as well it's reduced from what it was during Hulkenberg's time um, it's now down to seven test days for, for LMP1 teams but in a series like that even the finest details like cockpit layout uh, are so important with, with the ease of a driver change and, and making sure that all the drivers are comfortable. So there's real value for, for the manufacturers and having all the drivers there for the tests. You look at last year for the prologue, 
Um, they made Sebastian Buemi, Toyota made Sebastian Buemi turn up, even though he was due in uh, Mexico. I think it was the following weekend. So the, the prologue was the was the Thursday, and he had to then fly overnight to Mexico to contest the Formula E event. So there's major value to the to the manufacturers. Will Alonso end up doing all the tests as well? You know, maybe during the week or or on you know extra weekends off. It's, it is a massive commitment on on his behalf and whether he sees it through or not i, I think it deserves uh, a great deal of credit for actually being willing to, to take it on and sign up you presume there's a little bit of tunability in this deal clearly it'll go through to le mans but let's say mclaren overachieves and they are in a championship fight perhaps they might say well actually we don't maybe we won't do the next few wet rounds and also if alonso ticks off a le mans victory which is perfectly possible this year then certainly this year the, the yeah. kind of sports car program doesn't necessarily need to continue, should we say? He'll have ticked. Uh, he'll have ticked that box. So it'd be interesting to That's see what, what happens. That's just common sense, I think. I think they, they they should be prepared for that to tune it in in any direction, really. Um, yeah, unquestionably, yeah. And Toyota clearly will want him in the car as long as possible because it's good good for the championship. But yeah. who knows if McLaren struggles? Maybe he'll even see out the full super season. He'll add Fuji, Mister Grand Prix as well. Yeah. Alonso is insistent. When I asked him about this, it was on the previous podcast. You hear Alonso saying, "Well, the the struggles McLaren had aren't causing me to be able to do these events." But of course they are because McLaren aren't in a strong position in terms of keeping him. So they wanted to. They have to accommodate. These, and he wasn't doing things. them before. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> if they were fighting for a world championship, it, it would ne- it would never happen. So Alonso is pressing home his advantage there. So the competitiveness of the, of the team will will depend. And I think if McLaren's where we expect it to be, which I think we're expecting them to be to be good, but not world championship leading. If I had to put a tenner on it now, it would be that they'll be fourth in the championship yep. and not quite at the Red Bull level consistently. Well, James, what do you reckon are the chances of Alonso? winning Le Mans this year it's certainly a pretty good time for him to take it on when you compare it to to Hulkenberg there was still a very strong factory Audi team before it then had its wobble um during the 2016 season which turned out to be its final year and of course Porsche that Hulkenberg drove for that year had gone as well so of the LMP1 hybrid manufacturers it's only Toyota so Alonso's back the right horse you'd say on on the evidence of, of what he's up against it's a it's a cluster of privateer entries that are not unfamiliar to sports car racing but for for various reasons they'll all be in a slightly different place the only privateer that's being carried over from last year is the Bicolles you've also got the Mechachrome powered Ginetta which is being run by the Mana team you've got two Orica Rebellions and then there's the Dallara BR1s being run by the ART Grand Prix outfit with a customer car being run by Dragon Speed with um, the uprated Gibson engine as well. So there's a, a cluster of privateers that you'd imagine will be there or thereabouts, but on the grounds of what they're carrying over from last year, when actually Toyota won more races over the course of the year than than Porsche, it just turned out that the races Porsche did win were all for the car that won at Le Mans. They were able to orchestrate that in a way that favoured their favoured their lead car in the championship. So Alonso is in a good position. His his teammates are very strong as well. Of course, Sebastian Buemi, um, probably the strongest pound-for-pound driver in LMP1 at the moment, and Kazuki Nakajima, who has been part of the Toyota lineup for, for several years. So it's a good lineup that he's coming into. Um, Anthony Davidson might feel a little miffed that he's been demoted to the reserve role, but it's a massive boost for the championship, so I'm sure he can't complain about it too much. Alonso's timed this very well, let's be honest. Uh, and I think that's probably played a part in why he is so keen to do it this year as well. As James explained there, you know, LMP1 has 
be on a bit of a downturn from what was a really good purple patch. We had three factory teams who would often bring extra cars to Le Mans as well. You know, we've we've all been going to Le Mans in recent years, and it's it's been really exciting to have all these manufacturer heavyweights throwing so many cars and drivers at the event. This year, with the greatest of respect to the the new breed of sort of LMP1 privateers that are coming in, Alonso's in a two-car race, really. I know Toyota will find a way to probably make it more than a two-car race because it seems whatever they do, they can't win Le Mans, but this is the best chance they are ever going to have. And it might, even if Alonso goes to Le Mans for the next 10 years of his career, this could be the best opportunity he gets just in terms of where Toyota's car is going to be relative to its competition because these LMP1 cars from the privateers are new, so this is potentially going to be their weakest season unless after the first couple of wet rounds we get some amazing performance balancing that really brings them into contention. So Alonso's dropped into one of Toyota's regular two cars. You know, it's not even that he's stuck in a third car with some promoted reserve drivers or anything like that. You know, this is a, a full-blown brilliant chance and really there's not there's not massive opposition this time. It almost wouldn't be a huge surprise if he did win it. I think it was a huge surprise when Nico Hülkenberg won it and it was brilliant and El Bamba and Nick Tandy did a great job in that car as well. But Hülkenberg was a real part of that. You know, he he wasn't just clinging on to the the regulars and letting them do all the work. We know that Alonso is going to contribute here to the success of his car if there is any success. Um, yeah, I imagine there'll be some pretty nervous people at Toyota because, as I'm sure we'll talk about closer to the race, Toyota's history at Le Mans is checkered. And uh, if it would be a real shame for them, much like Honda engine failure costing the chance to potentially win the Indy 500, Toyota have had enough bad PR and have told enough bad stories at Le Mans already they don't want you don't want the Alonso car to be in the lead in the final hour and suffer a failure. Unfortunately, Toyota is just one of those manufacturers that's cursed at Le Mans, isn't it? The most bizarre thing is 2016. We were all there when they had the race in the bag and then basically on the penultimate lap hit trouble. 99, they were very well positioned as well. Exactly. 93 as well. Yeah, and, and last year, this extraordinary problem that put the Kobayashi car out of the race when he was distracted by a, a sort of a false mar- marsh yeah. almost. <laughs> it was, it's astonishing, isn't it? These, these things just happen at, at Le Mans. In a way, if you're Toyota, it's like brilliant. We've got a year where we've got an easy run at winning. We've got Alonso in the car, so there'll be extra attention. This has injected massive interest into the race. What could possibly go wrong? Well, exactly. But it also creates this tremendous pressure, doesn't it? Because it'll just, you know, if it's Alonso at the wheel, when the car wheel falls off going through the four chicane on the last lap and he can't push it over the line, which is about the next place the Toyota Le Mans disasters <laughs> need to go. They're almost damned if they do, damned if they don't, aren't they? I mean, there's the easy accusation that people could make at them that, well, now Porsche aren't there and it's just a bunch of privateers that, you know, obviously will be operating with a reduced budget compared to Toyota. They don't have the luxury of having hybrid power as well, which makes a huge difference coming out of the chicanes on the Molzan. Um, You know, they'll say, well, Toyota's expected to win, but if Toyota don't win, as you say, it will be this enormous pressure and huge PR embarrassment for, for Toyota as well. Um, at least they've got two shots at winning it in this super season. As as we said earlier, we don't know whether Alonso's deal will, will run into next year as well with it straddling the 2018 and 19 seasons before it goes to a winter-only calendar. But yeah, it will be very, very interesting and I'm sure we'll discuss this more at length nearer the time. It's unquestionable that Alonso will see this as a relatively easy shot at winning Le Mans. I would say that's probably the hardest one for him to tick off his list now, given that he's proven himself at Indy. And with Indy, 
if you can get yourself into a good car, and there's there's a reasonable number of good cars for a driver of that profile, you can certainly win it. But Le Mans is is tricky, isn't it? It fluctuates wildly in terms of how easy it can be to fit in, and can you get into proper cars if you're only a part timer, for example? So it, it's quite it's quite tricky for him. But I think Alonso will see this as a great chance to tick that box, and it's it's worth noting he'll only be the fortieth driver to have started all three of those of That's those triple start. crown races, even contested them. Rubens Barrichello was the thirty ninth when he contested Le Mans last year, which is which is amazing really, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, that's an amazing little stat you've put together there, Ed, and I'm sure there aren't many recent additions to that list. Unless Nico Hulkenberg is going to do the Indy 500 this year, and he can add himself to that list, it was it was something that was done a lot more in the past, wasn't it? Drivers tended to be more versatile, or were allowed to be more versatile, which contracts don't always allow for that now. Coming back to the thing about it being the right time, though, it's it's one thing to to be in the only factory LMP1 cars. Uh, in a year, you could say that the field is going to be depleted in terms of the fight for victory. There are plenty of years since Toyota has been back at Le Mans where being in a Toyota wouldn't necessarily be, even all things being equal, wouldn't be a, a guaranteed shot of victory. You know, there are years where Toyota has arrived off the pace compared to their, their rivals. They don't really have any rivals this time. So, like I said before, he he couldn't have timed it any better. And he's still in his prime as well. That's something to consider is that We've talked about maybe drivers consider sports cars or or Le Mans as a route to 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 as a box to tick off after their F1 careers. Rubens Barrichello being a a prime example. Max Chilton is is probably the most recent one um, prior to that, who again would never have done considered doing Le Mans while he was trying to make it as a as a as a jobbing F1 driver. The longer he leaves this, the less value he'd be to, to a team, and and the less of a galvanizing effect he'd be. He'll still be the, the driver that won two world championships, but how much of a positive impact would his presence be? His, you know, you'd imagine it would only decrease over time. So, as Glenn says, it's kind of a perfect storm to to contribute towards this. That that might be the story of 2018. It's great that he's hit on this triple crown as a thing to do. I remember when he first talked about doing Indy, he said, "Well." the way to be the greatest racing driver in Formula 1 is to win eight world championships. Well, I'm not going to win eight world championships to beat Michael Schumacher's record because I haven't got the machinery and the longevity left to, to do that. But he's hit on this triple crown thing. Of course, the triple crown, Graham Hill's the only driver to have done it. There's some dispute about whether you should count the Monaco Grand Prix or the world championship. Actually, Graham Hill referred to the world championship originally, but at Autosport, we tend to lean towards the Monaco Grand Prix. Because, Graham Hill had both anyway, didn't he? Exactly, but also <laughs> it's consistent. It's three races, isn't it? You know, that that's what it should be, the, the three sort of mega big races and it'd be really interesting because let's say Alonso does go to Le Mans and win it this year how that impacts the rest of his career because there's there's a few factors obviously the McLaren form there's a question of can McLaren become a championship winning force if so he'll stay and try and win a championship if not can he get into another championship winning F1 team and if not what does he do so if he's ticked off Le Mans then this makes IndyCar another possibility down the road you can see this sort of single-minded determination to try and go and go and win the 500 because he's shown he can and imagine if he'd make his return to Indy with a Honda engine car that would be another tremendous story after you know say he does win Le Mans with Toyota given the rivalry that's existed between Honda and, and Toyota down the years if if one manufacturer helped the other. Honda would be kicking themselves, won't they, if he had the disastrous run in F1, the Indy 500 nightmare, and then when he goes to their rival and he picks up Le Mans and wins it at the first attempt. That in, in Japan, that would be a massive deal. That, that would be a huge thing. And the really funny thing is someone 
uh, think in the press conference after if that happens someone's going to ask Alonso about that and Alonso's going to know exactly what to say and it'll be full of praise for Toyota <laughs> and what a wonderful company they are yeah and there will be some uh, little little sly elbows at, uh, at Honda which like you say will get, will get that one Japan and, and this is why Toyota will like that as well because it, there's big competition between these Japanese manufacturers it's particularly it's particularly intense so that there will it will just be a, another dimension to add to, to the race it's a brilliant extra layer I think maybe for those of us who aren't embedded in the Japanese racing culture, you're not necessarily going to be as aware of how fiercely competitive those rivalries are. But yeah, for Toyota, once they would have got wind of the fact that not only was Alonso being sort of removed from Honda's clutches or or no longer being held down by Honda, you could say, but he's suddenly going to be available for them as well. The following season, it's, it's it's perfect timing for Toyota you know you've got a clean break from Honda and they get him straight away that's that that's the stuff of dreams for them I think we should also look a little bit at the other side of the coin because on the one hand yeah it's a great opportunity for Alonso but he's in a very serious car Sebastian Buemi as you said earlier James is outstanding performer Kazuki Nakajima is superb in sports cars as well so that's two drivers he's going to be measured against it's a little bit different to being up against Phil Hansen and and Lando Norris and different even to the challenge of being up against a strong Andretti Autosport lineup at, at Indy so he's going to be compared to two outstanding drivers and then if you look on the other side of the garage you're going to have Mike Conway who's been getting better all the time with with Toyota and Kamui Kobayashi is a very serious endurance driver now has the record for the all-time best lap at Le Mans of course of course yeah and and Jose Maria Lopez who's a strong driver last year didn't go so well for him but for example if it turns into a straight fight between the two Toyotas and maybe Alonso could become a, a weak link I doubt he will but this is a huge challenge isn't it to he can race at Le Mans he'll be quick he'll be good no question but you're dealing in really, really small margins now. It wouldn't take him to be just much off for there to be a very clear gap between him and Boemi and Nakajima. That's true, but I think the fact that he's doing this suggests that he has the confidence in himself that he'll be able to um, overcome any any unfamiliarities that he has. Of course, it is but worth bearing in mind that before he goes to Le Mans, he'll have that experience at Spa just to get really comfortable in the team. Um, he'll have that grounding of of... of working with the engineers, the data, and he'll have the Le Mans test um, weekend as well. The actual track time that you get before the Le Mans 24 hours as well is, is pretty considerable um, when you consider that running starts on the Wednesday um, morning and they have three sessions per day uh, on the Wednesday and Thursday before you have the hideously long Friday before the action actually starts. I think he'll be reasonably well up to speed and yeah, he, he wouldn't be doing this if he didn't think that, that he could he could manage it. And you have to say that Toyota are clearly confident. They have run him in the rookie test in Bahrain, so clearly there was no concern there. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put him in, in that car, would they? If there was a feeling that he was going to be a second a lap off the pace around Le Mans, which arguably over a lap that long isn't a massive amount of time, but when a race is you know so competitive as it is in the modern age, you can't afford to have a driver who's lagging like that. We've seen... Mark Webber, when he first went to Le Mans, really struggled to get up to that pace around that circuit. We know, as much as it pains me to say it, we know Jacques Villeneuve struggled in the Peugeot. And that there isn't room for these drivers in these manufacturer teams anymore. And even for Toyota, yes, they've got two cars and potentially not much opposition. They don't want, want one of those cars being hamstrung by someone who's not familiar enough with the machinery or the circuit or the type of racing to really end up with that being a secondary car in the race that they will believe that he can do a good job and Ed I think you can probably answer this best when Alonso was at Indy you spent a long time you were out there for the majority of the month of May 
and what I believe came across was he showed a real respect, as I said previously, to the event, but also to the the regular drivers in the team. You know, he was he was not afraid to to lean on them and to learn from them. That was the impression I got. And I think with the the list of teammates that you've given there, particularly for me, Buemi, you know, Alonso's got this great source of information that he can learn from and that he should look to learn from. And in this situation, Buemi is the senior driver to me and. Some fans may look at it and go, well, Sebastian Buemi, he drove a Torosso for a bit in F1, but he was never at Alonso's level. Fernando will come in and be above him straight away. Sebastian Buemi is an elite racing driver in sports car racing and in Formula E. And I believe that Alonso will show the respect to him to use him as a benchmark. You know, we are certainly not going to come away from Le Mans this year unsure about exactly how good Fernando Alonso is around that track in an LMP1 car. Unquestionably, one of the strong things about Alonso is he knows what it takes to be very, very good in something, as the best people generally do. They don't get there by luck. People always use this word talent. And yeah, okay, you can say Alonso's a talented racing driver, but he's incredibly That's not hard. enough anymore, though. Exactly, no. Once upon a time, maybe. Exactly, and he's an incredibly hard worker. And he brings a, a degree of humility to it. He's got tremendous confidence in his ability, and he's not afraid to shout about it when things are going well. How many times did he do the greatest qualifying lap in history in F1 last year? It's, uh, he was very a- quick to tell us that he was quicker than uh, WEC LMP2 champion Bruno Senna in the same car at Daytona. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, yeah, he, you know, when he does well, he, it's on it. but he is very good at understanding who he needs to learn from. At Indy, he had Takuma Sato, Ryan Hunter-Ray, Marco Andretti, Alexander Rossi alongside him drivers with huge amounts of experience, Indy 500 winners, champions. So he had the the good sense and the humility to know he could learn from them. He'd go and do a few hours in the simulator every morning. He had a very step-by-step program, shall we say. It's like, right, I know what I need to work through. And he's very good at structuring what he does. So he'll know what the challenges are. He can work with the team to work out a program where he will put himself in a position where he's at the best he can be at the start of the race. He's not trying to be on day one of running the perfect drive he's not trying to shortcut it and that's that's one of his his great strengths and i think he will bring that to that professionalism to to le mans and it'd be interesting to see what happens if you end up into a, in a little battle with the other toyotas as well because ultimately other than the toyota le mans curse and unreliability the biggest competition is the sister car isn't it absolutely i mean the fact that he's already gone to daytona shows that how seriously he's taking this and, and the logical nature of, of his approach a lot of talk, we talked a lot about the fact that he'd never raced in, in traffic with slower cars and things like that. He's done that now. Richard Dean, the boss of United Autosports, was very impressed with the way that he conducted himself in traffic. And, and of course, he didn't hit anyone, which is um, a major plus point at Daytona, especially with so many slower cars. Um, the closing speeds are, are, are significant and they'll be even more significant at Le Mans with the with the power that the LMP1 hybrids have over over some of the, the backmarking GT uh, EM cars there. The fact that he's gone through Daytona, okay, the, the result wasn't particularly great, but he came through with an unblotted copybook, will be huge for him um, and his confidence going through that, that he knows he can do it. Well, certainly the experience he gathered at Daytona and the just the amount he learned will be of far more value than the 38th place finish that's in the record books. But it's going to be great to follow Alonso's progress in sports cars over the coming months. It's going to be a huge talking point as well as how he gets on in, in Formula 1. And it's going to be certainly this incredibly intensive schedule. It'll be good to see how he stands up to that. 
We'll be following it in detail on autosport.com. Remember to check out our Autosport Plus subscriber area where we get lots of in-depth features and columns and insight into the big stories in motorsport. And check out Autosport magazine out every Thursday. This week we'll have the Daytona 24 Hours in-depth report. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This is it. This is the year. Enough dreaming about growing my business online. It's time to get serious about selling in my style, as big as I want to grow, because there's nothing I can't do. It's time to get Shopify and take my business to the next level. Whoa, someone's ready to take on the new year. Oh, oh, I thought I was talking to myself there. But heck yeah, 2023 is my year. That's not your average resolution. That's a revolution. It's It's a a new New year's Year's revolution. Start selling with Shopify to join the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand. From templates that make site design simple to customizations that let you grow at your pace, this is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. That's shopify.com slash free22. Go to shopify.com to start your New Year's revolution today. Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.